Welcome to today's episode of The Square. Today we're going to be talking specifically about the healthcare sector and what remains after COVID and, and some of the positive things that can come out of a crisis. I'm really excited to have Stacey Rimmer here again, who is a certified healthcare interior designer, and Chris Cross Nicholas. Hey, Chris. Hey. Uh, Chris is a VP and our healthcare studio lead. So um, just to kind of jump right in, tell me a little bit about what you think is the most important um, element of uh, when you're thinking through designing for healthcare spaces and for the people that inhabit them, what is the most important element? Well, I think for us, as it's unique to healthcare, is that a lot of us got into this, this industry and this business because we care about people along with interior design and architecture. Mm. So it's kind of that, that balance of when we talk about our projects, we're not only talking about the physical space, we're also talking about the care journey. We're talking about from the perspective of the, the care provider and the patients as well. Yeah, because you have, you have a lot going on in one space. You have obviously the humans that, you know, have a close tie to human-centric design, right? But you also have the, the care providers and the staff and the doctors, all of that. So when you, when you think about the people that are inside these buildings, why is trust an important factor? I think there's a lot of evidence that points out that people heal better in situations where their stress hormones are lowered and they're more accepting of what a doctor and the care team have to say to them. And so it's very important that you try and address stress factors outside of their physical condition before they ever make it into the exam room or into a situation where they're talking to the care provider. So if you can establish that trust of this is a safe environment, this is a clean environment, we care about how you walk into our building and that you make it where you need to make it with as little difficulty as possible, that opens the patient up to be more receptive to the care team and what they have to say about their physical condition before you ever get to that diagnosis phase. So, you know, with interior design, I know I've heard a lot about how you're wanting to foster the relationship between the inhabitants in the building, but you're also wanting to foster a relationship between the people in the building, particularly the patients and the physicians. Why is that important? Well, you know, when you're in a doctor's appointment yourself, you want to be seen and heard. So you want your doctor to have enough time to hear what's really bothering you, to really help diagnose. And because you have, you're coming in, there's a lot of worry, a lot of stress. So if they're able to, to take that time and look at you, and we set up the physical space where they're able to, to facilitate that interaction, it's, that's one of our priorities, and I think it's what matters when you're coming in and seeing your, your physician. So my, my f full disclosure here, I'm a little biased. My dad was a, a surgeon, and I remember at a young age going and doing rounds with him on the weekends. And one of the things that I thought was really cool was th to see that interaction between the patients and the doctors and to it was much rarer there, it was much rarer when I was doing this because the internet wasn't nearly as big as it is to have people come in and be educated about what was gonna be happening to them. Now, the pendulum's almost swung the opposite direction um, because you have people coming in pretty much self-diagnosing and just wanting the doctor to confirm it. But I do like this idea of kind of patient empowerment and there being a partnership there um, between the two. Is, is, is that something that can happen practically? Well, I think, well, you know, with the physician training and, and that whole education process, rounding was so important because it's, it's the ability to go and see your patient. It's not something you can do remote yeah. when there's something really, something really wrong, like in a rounding situation. So that immediacy is what's important, and that connection is what's important. That's, that's something we try to foster because that's, that's the key to that care journey and, and making sure patients are getting the quality care they need. And then 
as you mentioned, you know, a patient empowerment, now we're able to find whatever we need to on the internet, yeah. what we think is our condition, but you know, the expert is there to validate that. But I think as part of your, your care journey and your care process, the more informed you are, there's, there's been studies and evidence that have shown that you, you stick to your protocols better. You, you stick with uh, your, your medicine or whatever treatment that they're, they're, they're more likely to do what the doctor right. tells them to exactly. do. Exactly. <laughs> there's something, there's some buy-in there and there's, there's some, there's that interaction. I think you're, you're right. That shifted in, in the past. And it's also shifted in how you do healthcare design is, is that part of that patient experience and patient education leads to satisfaction. I, I got to imagine there's also, not to boil it down to numbers, but there's some loyalty to doctors when you have that relationship that you're comfortable with, right? Like just in terms of, of patient loyalty in, in a healthcare model, if you have that, that relationship and that confidence in the doctor, probably not just in their skills, but in being heard, that's really important. Definitely very important. And I think it's going to be something that even the the farther into this whole COVID-19 experience that we get, the more exaggerated that, that need for connection between a physician and their patient is going to be. I, I totally agree. So how has COVID, I mean, COVID, I have a ton of changes, but how do you, have you seen it really had an impact, particularly in patient and physician relationships? Well, some of that is that interruption between that immediacy to see your physician. So during the crisis, you couldn't go to your doctors. They were still in that mitigation mode where they didn't know how to see well patients or people with chronic issues. At the same time, they're seeing COVID patients. So keeping those two those two flows separate were very important at the, at the beginning. So you didn't have the ability to see your doctor. So you had to change and, and find virtual ways to see your, your physician, which is a, a big interruption and a big change for most people. If you look at uh, virtual virtual visits or virtual adoption and, and but prior to COVID it was you know hovering on eight percent for the nation wow. so it's something that's been in the works it just yeah. hasn't been fully adopted so as you led this question off with you know when do we learn when do adults learn when do industries learn it's at times of crisis where you have to find a way to, to make things work and then people start investing their time and efforts into into to making that new way of doing things work so healthcare systems put a lot of time and money into into their virtual platforms because of this are, are you are you seeing a challenge with I mean I, I, I know people on both sides of this kind of spectrum where you've got people that want things to be the way they're used to because that kind of reaffirms the confidence and the trust of of going to visit the doctor whether it's COVID related or not and then you've got people who want to see a bunch of change and see that they're taking their healthcare providers taking a bunch of protections like you know getting their temperature taken outside the door and you know all these other things um, and you're having to to kind of cater to a broad range of of comfort levels and what that comfort looks like for each person how do you navigate that i think it honestly i'm not sure that there's an easy solution for that i think it puts caregivers physician groups hospitals in a very awkward position because you are right they're having to cater to so many different needs and something that satisfies and meets the needs of one group of people actually is an active turnoff for the other group of people. So I think this goes back to the idea that if someone is comfortable and confident going to their doctor, it's the same one they've seen for years, they have trust and faith that they've been cleaning their facility, that they're gonna take care of them. I think you have more of those people that have those relationships returning back to doctor's offices. People who maybe had adopted more of that retail healthcare, I don't care where I go, I don't care who I see kind of perspective, 
they don't have that trust and confidence anymore and they are less likely to return to a physical doctor's office setting because there's not that relationship built before the crisis happened. So I think that that doctors have to focus on instead of kind of knee-jerk reaction changes about really taking a look at what they can confidently offer their patients or their staff even because staff are concerned about getting COVID as well you know um and and try and maintain sort of that calm steady response instead of reacting bigly in a, in a grand way to kind of meet either of those extremes. It sounds like communication is also an important factor before you go to see the doctor. Yeah, we're seeing this even in our workplace now. You come in, you make a daily affirmation that you haven't had yeah. you haven't had a temperature, you haven't lost your taste of, of smell and touch. So that triage process is important also now when you go to see your physician. So that's something new that there's another step in between you that immediacy between you and your physician you have to you have to not only make your appointment but there's this pre-screen there's either you know is there a biometric test that you go and you get before seeing your physician so that's kind of a that's a new thing that we're seeing and it's probably something that won't go away so that one step more of immediacy doctors need to find a way to, to overcome that through communication so it's, it's it's spreading your message early and expectations that hey we're going to screen you this is why we're doing this is why it's important we we we, we care about your well-being, your yeah. well-being, and this is why we're doing that. It, you know, it was interesting to me because of all the sectors that would be potentially affected by like having a barrier like a mask. I actually assumed kind of healthcare would be it would have the least amount of effect on healthcare because so many people already wear masks. Until I started to think about that communication and that idea of being heard, because usually if you're sitting in a doctor's office and you're in an exam room you're not necessarily wearing a mask in a normal setting for that um so is that become a barrier for for communication yeah to some extent i think we're learning how to read people's eyes but i think there is that there's just another thing between you and your caregiver so you know anytime you have that extra barrier there's a a little bit of loss of that continuity of that trust but i think we're overcoming it and as as we learn to deal with this more and this becomes more normal for us that may be a part of the, the that may be a part of it going further. I do think though that that has going to have a ripple effect on the spaces we build because acoustics are going to be even more critical. You know, if we think about all the background noise that happens normally, that there's no barrier between the auditory communication, but but when you've got that mass and it makes you sound like this, yeah. it it totally changes the way that you hear someone and if you've got all this background noise especially if you're older especially if you have hearing impairment of any kind it creates an almost um impassable barrier Um, and it's fascinating to see how sometimes those those lack of auditory communication can be construed as um I mean, this is an extreme case, but people who can't hear sometimes get diagnosed as having dementia, but they don't. And so I think that, again, that's an extreme, but I think that's going to be something that we really have to keep in mind. I didn't realize how much of your nonverbal expression happens, like from your eyes down. Right. (laughs) Because you're totally right. Even when my wife and I are out shopping or something and she's asking me a question, like it's hard for me to, to get all of the nonverbal part of what she's communicating when she's wearing a mask. So 
Let's talk a little bit about the healthcare workers themselves then, because, you know, that's it's a high stress job even before COVID. <laughs> now, with everything going on, um, I know kind of across the board in populations, we're seeing anxiety and depression and a bunch of different things kind of spike up. Um, what What's the mental impact as we kind of try and reemerge on the other side of COVID? So, like you said, patients are now coming in with this this elevated levels of anxiety and depression and that's baggage that they bring with them into the care environment Um, and staff are having to learn how to respond to not just physical illness but now mental illness in a way that they haven't had to before Um, I have a really good example there was a lady came into an emergency department for a system and she was diagnosed with covid in the emergency department and as you know you can't you can't have family she she was by herself basically and um, she actually committed suicide in the exam room of the emergency department because in her mind getting diagnosed with covid was a death sentence it wasn't for her she actually wasn't one of the population that is more you know, high risk, risk. exactly. So it wouldn't have been that, but she was alone and afraid and misinformed. And so staff are having to recognize signs of that mental instability that they haven't had to deal with the same way and they're having to do it alone. A lot of studies have shown how important it is for family to be part of that care experience because they can advocate both for the family member themselves, but also for the staff when a family's not listening. And when you take out that bridge, it just exaggerates a situation that can already be very challenging. You know, certainly it's tragic because things like that with misinformation and and having uh, the importance of having a collaborative and 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 um, I think a good relationship with your healthcare provider um, is illustrated in that. It, I am curious, how has COVID changed how you think about behavior and flow and movement through a space? Well, it starts with that care journey. So it's how do you first connect with your physician? You know that you tell them what you're you're presenting your issue, what's bothering you. It's maybe it's episodic or it's it's some kind of chronic issue, but they have to now pre-sort you through a triage process that either puts you into a COVID risk category or if you're, or if you're not. So that becomes particularly difficult with a, your primary care physician that may have a small waiting room to begin with. And if you remember in the past, a year ago, those were always cramped and you had sick people waiting with you, you know, and Stacy's got a good, a good anecdote about, you know, your sickness, if it's yours, it's okay. But being around other sick people was, is, is more difficult. But so now they're already challenged. So how do you have two separate groups, two separate people, two separate flows of, of sickness, how do you manage that? I'm curious, you said healthcare journey or your care journey. What does that mean? Well, it's, it, you know, it depends. Most of our, if you're a healthy person, it's, it's an episodic thing. So you have an infection or you broke something, you get your care. There's a follow-up journey mm-hmm. where they follow up, whether it's medicine or long-term rehab, and then you're done. But, you know, the chronic care, it's different. It's an ongoing, you're talking to your physician monthly. Yeah. Sometimes, so it's just that process of, of of something's you're something challenging you need help with, so it's from beginning to end. So it's thinking about it holistically. It's not just a, a yeah. care journey isn't just going to the doctor and back. Right. It's thinking about holistically over the course of a treatment. Or so, 
are you seeing things getting outside of going to the doctor? Certainly virtual visits has become a much bigger thing. Um, is there, you, you mentioned the, the percentage that it has grown. Um, is there, what's the effect that's having on, you know, retail healthcare? I think retail healthcare, and in my opinion, will probably be hit the hardest. Like I said previously, these are situations where if you think about those environments you were going for the flu or because you had a fever or because you had a cold or an ear infection, because a lot of that stuff couldn't be handled via virtual visits. The, the legislation had really narrowed what could be um, dealt with on those. Right. And now that they have broadened that and you can do all of that virtually, I, I think that you'll probably see a reduction in the amount of people who go into retail spaces for that type of care because it is much easier to do it virtually. Are you, is it, does it change how you design spaces for, for you know, healthcare buildings and whatnot and thinking through how people want to see their doctor represented? Like, are, are doctors doing this from their home? Are they doing it in their office? Absolutely. It's something we've talked a lot about because people don't want to, call, when virtual visits first started, right? Yeah. You'd call up, in fact, I've done it before, call up, the doctor comes on the screen and it's like their living room behind them or something. <laughs> right. I mean, it just does not, this does not communicate trust and professionalism to me. And so people want to see their provider still in a healthcare setting. Some, not a messy office. I don't want to see your junk everywhere. I want it to look clean and efficient and like you know what you're doing. The challenge with that also is what you see on camera and what you need to be seen well on camera are two different things. Yeah. So we have a lot of providers that are like, oh, well, we're just going to put them in an exam room. Well, to really do a very good virtual visit, you need a good mic situation. Yeah, you need a lighting. stationary webcam. Yeah. Exactly. You need all of those trappings that you won't see on a screen. And you also don't want to put them in every exam room either because yeah. that doesn't communicate to people who did come in in person that it's an in-person yeah, space. Sure. So it, it really makes more sense to have a smaller space dedicated for televisits that's set up for that and then those that are more dedicated to in-person visits. But then you've got the whole space challenge. So... What what about the effect of of um, touchless interactions? Is that, are you saying? Because I mean, you know, certainly when thinking through coming into a space, um, and and one of those things that may be a, a barrier to people wanting to do that is not only being around sick people, but having to touch where sick people have touched. Are you seeing something that's in terms of a, a touchless interaction that's on the uptick? Well, in healthcare spaces, uh, traditionally you always had touchless features, so you would have at least the ability to have an automatic door, the touchless, you know soap and water to wash your hands ability to, to get out of the restroom without touching the, the faucet the ability to get out of the restroom without touching anything yeah. but i said that 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 virtual and kind of non-touch i don't know that's going to be a tough one i don't know if we have a good answer for that because you know part of when you go to the doctor you want them to feel you know if you, if you have an infection you want them to feel your throat and your yeah, lymph nodes there's totally. part of that you want to have that touch of they're they're taking your temperature and they're listening to your heart so I don't know how, how much, it's more of a tolerance. How, what, what are we going to expect from A comfort that level. In the future. Yeah. Is that going to erode a little bit? But I, don't, I, I have a feeling that it probably won't. Because we're seeing now, you know, connection is more important than anything right now because a lot of us are starving for it. So 
Yeah. When you're feeling cared for, do you want somebody who's there and kind of immediate? I do think, though, it is going to expedite things like touchless check-in. Right. Mm. Um, Some of the logistic key, pieces of it. Keyless entry in rooms. You know how people at a hotel, you yeah. wave your phone in front of it and it automatically unlocks it. Things like that where you're not having to touch. Once you get past that front door that's automatic, any of those other touch encounters, elevators, et cetera, those are all going to trend towards touchless. I agree, though, that the care itself is not going to get yeah. away from the touch. So in, in kind of wrapping up and thinking about care, it seems like there's also, apart from acute treatment, there's this kind of heightened awareness of the wellness of the patient. And so, you know, certainly wearing a mask, you've seen many of the slogans that doesn't protect just me, it protects you too. And so there's this idea of thinking about other people and wellness. How, how is that trend manifesting? Well, that's the most interesting part of this. And what kicked off the, at least the thought discussion for us between me and Stacy is that more now more than ever you're really aware how your relation to other people and that's something that's going to remain with us for a while so i know how close i feel how close i am to you and how tall this the ceiling is in here there's a wellness component to that spatial consideration you start to judge everything in six feet lengths right <laughs> so when you're so and you also see on the other side when you're compressed so now if you've if anybody's taken a flight recently which i have yeah. if you, you notice how close you are to other people so it's that com, that's that contraction and expansion is is more important so as we design healthcare spaces in the future, we need to take care of that. We need to take particular, pay a particular attention to how we do that. Yeah. So I think the other thing that you have to think about when you're talking about being more aware of your space is also being aware of the services that you're interacting with inside of a healthcare environment. We, we have seen for so long a trend towards more of this hospitality feel, the coffee bar. Yeah. I mean, we've, we have... Yeah even been ones that promoted this whole idea but now now that we're having to be aware of what that person touched kind of going back to yeah. my sickness your sickness yeah. two different things um understanding that those are not in demand right now but there's a good chance they could be in the future yeah. still because as humans when we get out of these crisis modes, we do seek more creature comforts in our spaces. And that means that cup of coffee again, you know? So I think that we have to be thinking about really flexible spaces that can be a, you know, maybe a specialized waiting um, for a specific type of condition today. And then it's a, training room for conferencing later or it's a coffee bar now and just this really this idea of uh, more of a modular solution that's quick quick up and quick down again yeah. depending on what's happening last question what what is it that you are excited about what is it something that you're looking forward to in the industry over the next you know several weeks months well, some of this is what's going to come out of the, the COVID and what we learn from this. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to learn about what, what matters for patients, what matters for physicians and caregivers. And then this, this crisis has pushed some of those issues to the forefront. We've been talking about wellness. We've been talking about the patient journey. We're talking about really an integrated care model, which includes an in-person visit, virtual visit. So these are, these are trends we've been talking about for years, but there hasn't been a really a, a motivation to make it happen. So I'm excited yeah. to see how we really incorporate some of those ideas. Stacy, 
I am excited because I think in some ways this whole situation has been a call to arms for the entire healthcare sector. Yeah. I think in any time that you get that sort of that time of peace, you you maybe slack off a little bit in some of the ways that you think about the human as a whole or that you focus on even just the basics. And because people are more aware of how clean an environment is, is it designed even to be cleaned? From a patient perspective, facilities are having to respond to that in areas where they may have let it slip. And I think it's making us better better caregivers in general. I think, I mean, again, I'm, I'm super excited to see that idea of, of patient empowerment partnering with their care providers and being able to, in the same way we're kind of doing an education, being able to have the decision of doing the virtual or being in person and knowing when it's appropriate to do both. It's, it's really exciting. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us for this conversation. Thank you for joining. If you want to learn more, I'll put some links to blogs that Chris and Stacy have written in the description below and make sure you join us next time.